Thank you, choir. And uh, this afternoon we conclude the Christmas pageant for this year. It has been absolutely wonderful. Every year after the performance, my response is, it is the best we've had. And I know that uh, next year it's going to even be better than this year, but I always look forward to it, and I know that you do as well. Well, today we're going to be looking at the wise men, the three kings, the magi. We refer to them as the three kings because we believe there were three. Actually, we don't know how many there were. The Bible does not say. We assume there were three because there were three gifts, but the Bible does not say how many wise men actually came. They are referred to as the magi. The word magi in, is a word from which we get the word magician. Albert Barnes wrote, The original word is magi, from which comes our word magician. The persons here denoted were philosophers, priests, or astronomers, they dwelt chiefly in Persia and Arabia. They were the learned men of the eastern nations devoted to astronomy, to religion, and to medicine. They were held in high esteem by the Persian court. So that is one definition, that they were the learned men of the day. They were respected in their country. But the word can also mean a sorcerer. W.E. Vines defines it, a wizard, sorcerer, a pretender to magic powers, a professor of the arts and witchcraft. Now, it is used in that way in the Bible in Acts chapter 13, verse number 6. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a certain magician, that is the word, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus. So when we're talking about the wise men, the magi, the word can be defined as a magician or the learned men of society, or it can be a reference to a sorcerer, someone who was a false prophet. Now within our context, within the story of the wise men who came to Jesus, they were of the former. They were indeed the wise men who came. Now, what I want us to do today is to consider the characteristics of a wise person. It seems to me that there is not a great deal of wisdom today. There's a lot of knowledge, but that is not necessarily wisdom. There are those who have information, they have knowledge, but they do not have wisdom. So, what then are the characteristics of these wise men? What are the characteristics of a person who is wise? Take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1, and we read the story. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. 
And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. When you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. And having heard the king, they went their way. And lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. All right. I am assuming that you wish to be a wise person. These were wise men. So what then are the characteristics of a person who has wisdom? Well, first of all, a wise person encounters God. A wise person engages God. A wise person is someone, listen, someone who wants God involved in his or her life. If you're a wise person, you want God's engagement, God's involvement in your life. Now, the irony of that is it seems to me today that we are doing everything to exclude God from our lives, even here at Christmas. Isn't it interesting that we celebrate Christmas, but there are so many stores that will not acknowledge Christ? They don't want to say, Merry Christmas. Now, they want the celebration. They just don't want the Savior. I've wondered what would happen to those stores if Christian people simply didn't shop there. If you don't want the Savior, then you don't want my money. But there is this move today to exclude God when a wise person is someone who wants God involved in their lives. I suppose it troubles me a little more After recently having been in Poland, now I'm going to speak uh, more about that on January the 11th, but while we were there, we went to Nawahuta. This was a town established by the Soviet Union while Poland was under the occupation of the Soviets. It was a totally secular town. They removed God. There were no churches. There was no God. It was a totally secular town that had been established. How did they do that? Because it's a strong Roman Catholic country. So how did they do that? They began to systematically remove God from the language of the people. They stopped celebrating Christmas. It was no longer Christmas. It became Yuletide. They began to change the holidays, the holidays that represented a particular Christian event. Saint So-and-so Day became Miner's Day or something else. So they began 
to remove God from the equation. Change the language, change the holidays. They began to remove God from the people's thinking. Now, as I was there and we learned about that town, I thought to myself, now this is the strategy, and we're seeing it repeated today, to remove God. Then we went to Auschwitz. We were there all day, about 12 hours. And as we were there learning and looking, I was overwhelmed with the thought, how can man do this to man? A million and a half people killed for no reason other than just who they were. How can that possibly be? As I sort of put those two events together in my mind, I thought I am seeing the strategy of a totalitarian government, a godless society over here, and I'm seeing the results of it over here. The psalmist was correct when he said, the fool has said in his heart, There is no God. You see, a wise person is someone who wants God involved in his life. A wise person is someone who wants God engaged in his life. Well, how does that happen? Well, first of all, we listen for God's voice. In verse number 1 of our text, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east, arrived in Jerusalem. They were not Jews, nor were they Christian, but they were wise. They were listening to the voice of God. They didn't have the religious heritage of the Jews. They didn't have the religious heritage of the later Christians. They were wise, listening for the voice of God. Ladies and gentlemen, a wise person is someone who listens for God's voice. And I am convinced if you listen, you will hear God. You'll hear him in his word. You'll hear him in the music. You'll hear him in creation. You'll hear him in the world. If you are listening for God's voice, then you'll hear him. A wise person is someone who looks for the presence of God. Verse number 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and come to worship him. How did they know that? How how did these men who were not Jewish, how did they know that? They had studied the Hebrew Scriptures. They knew what the prophets said. And they acted on what they had read. They listened for the voice of God and they looked for His presence. My friend, if you want to see the presence of God, you will. The Bible says in Acts 14, 17, He did not leave Himself without witness in that He did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful season. He did not leave Himself without witness. If you're looking for God, you'll see it in goodness. If you're looking for God, you'll see it in the rains that come to water His world. God has not left himself without witness, and if you're looking for God, then you will see him. 
A wise person lets God guide him. In verse number 9, And having heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. A wise person allows God to guide their lives, and it is an incredible adventure. Young people, let me especially say to the students, if God is guiding you, if he is leading you into something, and there is a certain amount of fear and trepidation about it, if God is leading you, don't be afraid. It is an incredible adventure to follow the Lord's guidance. The Bible says they rejoiced in verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding joy. There is great joy in following the Lord. When God called me into the ministry, honestly, it was the last thing I could imagine myself doing. I, 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 just, I just didn't want to do it. There was nothing about it that was attractive to me. But I follow the guidance of God, and I am so grateful. Linda and I have talked about it so many times. There is nothing that I would rather do than serve the Lord. There is such a joy that comes from being where God wants you to be. So they rejoiced, the Bible says, and they arrived. You'll look there in verse number 11. And they came into the house. When God guides us, we end up where we're supposed to be. When God guides you, you're going to end up where God wants you to be and where you're supposed to be. And then as God guided them, they were reverent. In verse number 11, it continues, And they fell down and worshipped Him, and opening their treasures, they presented to Him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. When God is guiding your life, you're on holy ground. You students, if the Lord leads you to Clemson and you go there, for you that's holy ground. If He leads you to Carolina and you go there, for you that's holy ground. When you are following God's guidance, wherever you are, it's holy ground. You will end up where God wants you to be. And so they reverenced Him, they worshipped Him, and the Bible says, and then they presented their gifts. Wise people. Encounter God because they listen for His voice. They look for His presence. And they're guided by His Spirit. Second thing, wise men are generous. It was the Magi who started this whole thing about giving Christmas gifts. There are three kinds of gifts uh, as I divide them. There's the one I call the gift for a gift gift. That is when a person gives you a gift and they expect a gift. So they give you a gift to receive a gift. They, they give you something, uh, maybe it's a tie that you're not going to wear, but they give you something expecting a gift back, puts you under pressure. They have given me a gift, now I have to give them a gift, maybe a can opener or something, but you give them some kind of a gift. It's a gift for a gift gift. They expect something in return. The second gift is a gift for a favor. Now, this person gives you a gift, not expecting something immediately, but they do expect something in the future. Companies use this plan. For instance, Linda and I received a, a box of candy recently from the Savannah River Candy Company. 
I don't think that they were sitting around one morning drinking coffee and saying, I wonder how Wendell and Linda's doing. Why don't we send them a box of candy? I, we'll be a blessing to them today. I, I don't think that happened. But Linda has purchased Christmas gifts from them in the past and sent them to people. So my suspicion would be that they said, why don't we send a box of candy and maybe they will send in another order. See, that is a gift for a favor. Now, I used to work for a television station in Texas, and they gave a, a great Christmas bonus every year. We look forward to the Christmas bonus because they really gave a good Christmas bonus. Now, I'm not so sure it was because they were just benevolent and generous in, in, in doing that. What they did was to buy our loyalty. So when another station would come and offer you a job, you think, oh, man, I'm too close to my Christmas bonus. And so it sort of kept you hanging on there, gift for favor. Spouses do that, don't we? Some of you men, before long, you're going to find some little something to give to your wife. And the reason for that is because you want to watch the bowl games without her complaining. And so it's a gift for favor. You are, you are giving her something, but you're expecting something in return. I, I receive books from publishers quite often. I'm not sure they care that I, I read the book. They just send it to me and say, I'm sending this to you. What they want me to do is to recommend it to you. So it is a gift for favor. There are those gifts that expect something down the road. And so it's sort of an investment. The third gift is a grace gift. Now... Grace gift is different. Grace gift is sacrificial. It costs the giver something. For instance, it costs the Magi to bring their gifts to Jesus. If they were from Iraq or Persia, then it was about 300 miles. So they had to travel a, a great distance. There was danger and inconvenience. So there was a cost that was involved. Folks, a grace gift will cost you something. Maybe your time. Our deacons are the best deacons. I, just, I love them and admire them so much and thank God for them. One of the teams they have is a helping hands team. And that is a group of the guys, a team of the guys who go out and do ministry for our widows. Maybe they're going to change light bulbs or mow, their yard, mow her yard or do something of that nature. So the sacrifice is, is that they are giving their time. It is a gift of grace. Uh, service can be a gift of grace. My, I told you I got a, a dog, and my wife is, is a puppy. It's, it's a little challenging at times, but it's a Christian dog, and I expect it to grow into the <laughs> ways of the Lord. But right now, my wife is spending a considerable amount of time taking care of the dog, and I know that she does it because she knows I like it. And so it, the point that I'm making with that is that as she serves in this capacity, it is a gift of grace, see? It is something that she is giving that is costing her something. It is a gift of grace. So a, a grace gift costs something. It is a sacrifice. Something else is that it is personal. A grace gift is personal. The, the Magi didn't FedEx their gifts to Jesus. They brought them. It was a personal gift that they gave to the Lord. Let me ask you parents something. What can you give to your children this year that is personal? 
May I make a suggestion? A godly heritage. Only you can give that. The church can't give that to your child. The school can't give that to your child. A neighbor can't give that to your child. A friend can't give that to your child. You can. That is a personal gift that you can give, a godly heritage to your son or to your daughter. But children, young people, what personal gift can you give to your parents? May I make a suggestion? Respectful obedience. Your mom ought not have to call you 13 times to get ready to go to school, and you're finally going to do it anyway. You ought to do it. She need not go through that. Whenever your parents tell you to do something, do it respectfully. That's something that you can give. That's something personal that you can give. Nobody else can do that. I can't do it. But that's something that you can give. A grace gift is personal. And then a grace gift is given joyfully, not grudgingly. One man prayed, God, you can have anything you can pry out of my hands. Well, that's not a grace gift. A, a grace gift is given joyfully. Look at verse number 10. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with, with great joy. They couldn't wait to give their gifts to the Lord. They had been traveling at a great distance looking for the Christ child. They'd been protecting those gifts and bringing those gifts. They couldn't wait to give their gift. Giving a gift, a grace gift, brings joy to the giver. Richard Foster wrote, Giving with a glad and generous heart has a way of routing out the tough old miser within us. Even the poor need to know that they can give. Just the very act of letting go of money or some other treasure does something within us. That something is it destroys the demon of greed. A grace gift is joyful. It is worshipful. In verse number 11, he says, And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him, and opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But now I want you to notice this. They worshipped... And then they gave. See? They worshiped and then they gave. I hear in the church oftentimes someone say, well, we're going to take the offering. No, we don't take the offering. We don't take the offering. To be honest with you, there are times I'd like to, but that's not, that's not what the Scripture says. We don't take the offering. We need to understand that it is an act of worship, that when we give, it is an act of worship. It is an act of love. Charles Middleton told the story of Kevin. Kevin was a middle schooler who wrestled on an inner city wrestling team. They were having a match, and so they came. Well, the boys from the inner city team didn't have the headgear. They didn't have the shoes. They didn't have the uniforms that, you know, that was acceptable and so forth. Well, one of the other boys' fathers was touched by that. His name was Mike. 
Mike was touched by that, and he went home and told his wife, he said, you know, the, these kids came in, and they, and they didn't have anything, and he said, I felt so badly for them. He said, I'd like to give them something. Well, it was coming up on Christmas, so the wife went to a sporting goods store, and she bought equipment for that team. She sent it to them, and then on Christmas Day, there was an envelope on the tree that the wife had placed there. She told the story about buying the gift, and she said to her husband, Mike, this is my gift to you. Well, that became a tradition in that family. And so every year they'd find someone like that to give to, out of love, out of grace. It became a tradition. As time went on, Mike, Mike got cancer. He was treated, and, and then he died. It was the Christmas after his death that the wife was tremendously grieved. But she nevertheless put the envelope on the tree because she had found someone to give a grace gift to. But on that first Christmas morning, there were three other envelopes on the tree that her children had put there because she had taught them the gift of grace. You see, that, that, that's what it means when we give. I know that people say, well, I don't like to go to the church. They talk about giving all the time. They're always after my money. No, you, let me, no not really. You know, God owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. We look to God, and He is the one who supplies our need. When we get to thinking that it is you or it is me, then we have a pauper for God. God is our supplier. Wise men are generous. There's one final thing. Wise men understand their need of God's grace. They understand their need of forgiveness. You see, Jesus paid for our sin. Colossians 2.14 says, Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, and which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You see, ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for my sin that he might give to me the gift of forgiveness. So Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. So the Lord then paid for my sin that He might give to me the gift of forgiveness, and because He has forgiven me, then He says that I am to be forgiving as well. What do we need? We need the forgiveness of sin. What do we need? We need help for today. The shepherds. Their mundane lives became miraculous when the Savior was born. The Magi, they were fulfilled when they saw the baby Jesus. And my friend, Jesus is exactly what you need today. He's exactly what I need today. We think we need all of this stuff. No, we don't. We need Jesus. We need Jesus guiding our lives. And then he gives us hope for the future. The shepherds kept going because they had... Hope for Savior. What kept the Magi peering into the night, looking at the stars and following the stars? It was because they had hope of a king, and they were pursuing the king. The birth of Christ gives us hope for the future. Sometimes, aren't you discouraged? I know I am. I get discouraged sometimes. But then when I do, I go to the Word, and I go to my knees, and I have hope for the future. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. 
because Jesus provides that. Let me conclude. We give gifts at Christmas, family, and we should. We give gifts to our family. We give gifts to our friends. My son and daughter-in-law, every year during this season, they go out and they find someone. Maybe it's a waitress or someone, but they find someone that they bless. We give gifts to the church. December is our largest month in giving. I, I just happen to believe that so much of that is motivated because of the Christmas season. I just believe that at the Christmas season during this time that our hearts are touched and we become more generous than at other times of the year. We give gifts at Christmas, but don't leave unopened the gift that God offers you. And that is forgiveness of sin. He died to forgive you of your sin. Help for today, whatever you need. He is the help we need for today. And hope for the future. Jesus Christ is our hope for tomorrow. Don't leave unopened the gifts that he provides you. Our gracious Father and God, we thank you for the greatest gift of all, the gift of the Lord Jesus. And Father, I pray for those especially today who have never invited Christ to be their Lord and Savior, rejecting the gift that you have offered. I pray today that they might. Lord, bless this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing a hymn of invitation, an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. If you've never been saved, forgiven of sin, come today. A staff member will be here to pray with you. If you're looking for a church home, our door's open to you. Stand with me, please. We stand together. They sing. You come. I'll greet you as you do. This afternoon we have our final performance of the um, Christmas pageant at 4 o'clock. Any word on that, Steve, that we need to? Uh... Well, we had a few few tickets that we 